Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, if you would, turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew, and more specifically, Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there, let me pray over our time in God's Word. Lord Jesus, as we open up your holy word, your perfect word, your word without flaw, your word which contains no errors, even as it gives commands which are so hard to live out, we know that they're perfect and they're from you. Let let us treat them as such to to kneel before you, to put ourselves under your word, to say, God, oh, empower me. Empower me to try to live this out. Would your word penetrate the hearts of your people? And even those who are far from you, Lord, would you draw them in with your word? Not with my words, but through your spirit, working through your word, draw sinners to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Currently, we have been going through the book of Matthew, verse by verse, not missing a single verse, and we have been in, lately, the Sermon on the Mount. That's in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and today we are coming to the end of Matthew chapter 5. It's been a long haul walking through it, and in Matthew chapter 5, we have found that there are six instances, back to back to back to back to back, where Jesus says a similar speech pattern, you have heard it said, but I say each time, and we're at the last one, we're on the sixth saying in Matthew chapter 5 where he says, you have heard that it was said, but I say. This is a hard one. Matthew chapter 5, let's read it from the offset and we will work through it this morning, starting in verse 43. This is what the word of God says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. This is the reading of God's Word. It's really important to understand this passage on the heels of last week, the passage that came before it. Do you remember what we talked about last week? You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. If he slaps you, give him your other cheek. It's really important to understand today's passage in light of that passage because they're really one picture. 
two sides to the same coin, if you will. You see, last week, the passage calls us to refrain from doing what we want to do to them. Don't hit back. Don't retaliate. Don't meet evil with evil. Don't do that. It calls us to not do what we want to do. This passage actually calls us to do instead what we really don't feel like doing. Pray for them. Help the one who hurts you. So you see, if, 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 we're, if we're taking the two together, if last week was a call to show mercy... This is a call to show grace. See, last week, don't give them what they probably deserve. Mercy. This week, give them what they don't deserve. Pray for them. Last week was about mercy. This week is about grace. Both are extremely difficult. And yet what we find is that Christ calls us to love not arbitrarily, not randomly in such a way, but he calls us to love as he has loved us. If you're in Christ today, this is exactly how Christ loves you. And I think the more that we understand his love for us, that he would die for us while still sinners, the more we understand his love for us, the more we find that our excuses not to love others just seems to dissolve. The more that I see Christ loved me that way, me, the more I find my reason to not love that person really just seems to be pretty ridiculous and unfounded without warrant or good reason. So my, my hope for, for today is that as we, as we look at this text, you and I would be so overwhelmed by the presentation of Christ's love for us sinners, unworthy of it, that we would say, oh, I can surely do the same to others in my life. And hopefully you'll find healing today, maybe from a grudge that you've held for a long time, that maybe the, the bonds that that's held on you can be broke today as you look at how Christ loves you. Enemies, and yet now children. Jesus starts with the original command that they've been living according to. He says in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, so this is what they're living off of right now. This is how they base their lives. You've heard that it said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy." Okay, just looking at that original command that Jesus is going to work with is a little bit different than all the ones before it in, in the other five examples. You've heard that it said, but I say to you. This one's a little bit different because in all the other past examples, they were direct from the Old Testament. He was just quoting scripture, but this one isn't that simple. It's not a direct quote from the Old Testament. We'll find that they kind of manipulated it. Not kind of, they did. You see, Scripture, the Old Testament, did command to love your neighbor. That much they got right. 
They were called to love their neighbor. We see that in Leviticus 19. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. He's talking about sin in your heart, hating him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So that much they got right. You shall love your neighbor. Check mark. Good. But see, where they went wrong is Scripture did not command them to hate their enemy. It didn't command that. In fact, we'll, we'll find time and time and time again the exact opposite. Look at, for example, Exodus 23. It says, if you meet your enemy's ox on his do- or his donkey going astray, you should bring it back to him. If you see the donkey on one who, if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. So he's saying you should help who? Your enemy. Look at Proverbs 25 with me. Verses 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap up burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. You see, the Bible, the Old Testament, the the Bible for them at the time, the scriptures that they had, did not call them to hate their enemy. Nowhere does the Old Testament call Israel to hate non-Jews. God calls them to fight those that aren't Jews. God calls them to conquer those that aren't their nation. He calls them to resist them, to distance themselves from them. But never once does he say, hate them in your heart. And yet they took those commands, resist, fight, conquer, distance from, don't be with. They took those commands and said, we should hate them as well. And so by the time Jesus comes on the scene, that was the cultural norm. Jews resented Samaritans. They resented Gentiles. They resented and hated, refused to speak to, if at all possible, anyone who was Greek. They wanted nothing to do with them. They hated them. So I guess we have to ask, don't we? As good Bible learners and students, seeing Exodus 23 and and seeing Proverbs 25, how'd they get there? How did they let their heart go so far from what these passages clearly taught? Well, how does a sailboat go so far off course? It lets the wind of the day carry it wherever the wind is going, doesn't it? You can see this with many churches today. It's nothing new. Many churches today let the world, not the word, guide their steps and inform their opinions. They go with where the wind is blowing and they find themselves doing what the word clearly says the opposite of. We see that all over. Jesus saw that in his day. They hated their enemies. 
yet the word called them to do the exact opposite. So Jesus attacks this theology that became so popular in his day. He challenges it. We see that in verse 44. It says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Notice the part that Jesus did correct and he didn't correct, right? The whole love your neighbor part, no correction. That still stands. In fact, he reiterates it later in the book of Matthew in chapter 22. We see teacher, which someone came and asked him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus has no correction for the word of God. That was rooted in Leviticus 19. He's reiterating it in Matthew 22. So if we go back to the text, looking at verse 44, there's no correction to the love your neighbor's. In fact, he teaches the parable, the Good Samaritan, to show you should love those around you. The correction he has is the part that came from man. Notice that? The part that we felt like we needed to add to. We thought, oh, you forgot this part. We'll add it. That's the part he's like, yeah, you messed it up. I think there's somewhere in the Word of God, don't add to the Word of God. So Jesus has to correct the part that man felt they needed to add to it. The hate your enemy part. And instead, he says, no, don't hate your enemy. Instead, we should love our enemy and even pray for them. Love your enemy. Think about this. This could be your horrible boss. It could be the man who cut you off in traffic last time you were in the city. could be a person that advocates for evil ideologies, like wokeness. It could be the person that advocates for sinful lifestyles, LGBTQ. Maybe in your mind that's the person. They're my enemy. Maybe it's the one who just has run your name through the mud and you didn't deserve it. Maybe it's the adult who hurt you when you were a child. And Jesus says, love them. Love them. No ifs, ands, or buts. Love them. And in fact, pray for them. Think about that. Pray for them. And (laughs) when he says pray for them, He doesn't mean, Lord God, when they get hit by that bus, I pray that it's at least quick and painless. That is not what he's, he's not saying that. Yes, there there is a time to pray against a person, right? There's a time to pray that God would stifle their plans. 
There's a time to pray that they would face their consequences that are due them. There's a time to pray against a person. Absolutely. In fact, we're going to talk about that on Wednesday night, part two. Bible study here. Come on Wednesday night and we'll talk about when to pray against someone. But here, he says to pray for that person. You can pray that they receive their consequences and that God would stifle their plans, pray against them, and at the same time, before you say amen, pray for them as well. We ought to do both. Certainly, we should be praying for them, for their benefit, for their increase. The best prayer would be, God, open their eyes to see you as Lord. God, enable them to bow down before you, submit their life to you. God, transform their character. Make them new. Like you did me, God. Destroy that old self. Give them a new self. That they would stop sinning against me, against other people. Pray, God, I don't know what they're going through. If they're struggling, Lord, would you comfort them? Lord, I, I don't know if they feel alone in this life, but if they do, would you send them a friend? God, bless his marriage. Bless his marriage. Lord, let him find rest when he comes home after work to enjoy his time with his kids. Right? Pray for Pray for those who persecute you. You know what I found is when you do this, this is quite healing for you. Because it's really hard to hate somebody that you're praying for. So he says, don't hate them. Love them. Pray for them. And and this isn't like fringe theology. This isn't like, "Ah, take it or leave it. All, all theology is, you need to hear what God says and then do it. But this is at the core of the gospel. You realize that? This isn't like an outlier theology. This is at the core of the very gospel that we trust in. Because what he goes on to say is that whether you love your enemy or not shows if you are truly a son of God or a daughter of God, or if you're a son of the world. Whether or not you love your enemy or not shows if you're saved or not. Whether you love your enemy or not shows if you're of the world or of him. This is at the core of the faith that you claim to have. Yesterday, uh, Judah stayed with my parents, and they were babysitting him for the day, and my mom texted us that he came up to a picture he saw on a, on a table, and it was of me and my great-grandma. I was like, I was three years old at the time that the picture was taken, and he said, who is that with me? And 
my mom was like, uh, who do you think that is, Judah? And he said, that's me. I don't know who they are. <laughs> and, uh, and she goes, no, that's, that's, that's not you, buddy. That's, that's daddy. And he just looked at me like, have you seen my daddy? <laughs> like, like <laughs> put your glasses on, Nana. No, he, he just looked at her like, what are you talking about? And, he, and she just tried to explain like, buddy, that's daddy when he was your age. And he just could not compute. It's because he, he has a resemblance to when I was that age. Uh, he looks like me. And you know, children of God look like their father in heaven. You know that? What's also scary true is that children of the world look like the world. Children look like their parents. See, children of God look like their father who is in heaven. And our father who is in heaven is willing to love those who don't deserve it. He's willing to love his enemies. That's what he goes on to say in verse 44 and 45, right? Let's look at it again. I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. You see, do it because you'd look like him. You'd prove to be his son. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. See, this is the gospel that God loves his enemies. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us. He didn't give up on us. He didn't let us go. We have abused him. We have denied him. You have done that. I've done that. And yet he loves his people nonetheless. Wow. Why? Why would he do that? It's because his love is not based on our deserving it, but on his character to give it. Even those who will never call on the name of Jesus. They will go to their grave rejecting his lordship in their life. Even that person he lovingly gives common grace to. And that is the breath to breathe. The pleasures to see a sunset and a mountain range. To enjoy the cool rain on their face. Even the one who rejects them till their death. He lovingly gives them those blessings. You see, only Christians get the fullness of God's love. They're his children. But even the blasphemers are loved by their creator. And so if you are a child of that God, if you're his child, you should love even the hardest to love, too. Now, what's it mean to love somebody, right? It's a big question today. This does not mean that you need to agree with them. It does not mean that you need to support Jackson and all that he does. It's not that you need to endorse Betty's lifestyle. And if you're Betty or Jackson, I'm just using a random name. <laughs> Nothing personal. 
That's how the liberal majority of today would like you to think that's what love demands. That if you love them, you're going to agree with them, support them in all they do, and endorse their lifestyle. That's what's being pumped down people's throats today, is that's what love is. If you don't do that, you don't truly love. But when we look at the gospel, when we look at this book, we learn that loving is not that at all. Then it said, loving somebody is just always wanting their good, even if they don't deserve it. And even if it costs you a whole lot to give it to them. When we see the gospel, we see that's what love is. You see, God loves you in this way. Christian with a, dr- with a grudge, God loves you that way. And so we're called to love the way our Father loves. This displays that you're His child. You have His resemblance. Likewise, children of the world are going to look like the world. Verses 46 and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. He's saying, if you're going to just love those who are nice to you, love those who are just like you, you're just a product of the world. You're just like the rest of the world. You're a child of the world. You see, it's human nature to just like those who are like you. That's human nature. Loving like God That's not natural. It requires supernatural strength that only comes when he transforms our lives and makes us like him. So I guess if we were to apply this to our lives, don't put an expectation on non-Christians to love like God. They can't. And I, and I mean that. It's not that they don't want to. It's that it is that they don't want to, but it's also that they can't. They don't have the Spirit of God enabling them to do what God does. Forgive when there's no reason to forgive? Why would they? It goes against what's everything natural within them. Show you grace when you are entirely in the wrong? Why would they? Don't put an expectation on non-Christians to love like God. We should, however, put that expectation on ourselves. We should put that expectation on one another. Shouldn't we? To love as our Savior loves us. Yeah. Even when it's not deserved, even when it's not appreciated, even when it's not reciprocated, we show love. Why? Because it's not who they are. It's who we are to love that way. It's not based on who they are. It's based on who we now are. We look like our Father. 
And so I guess we all need to ask our, our, ourselves this question. You need to have some introspection in your life right now as we let the Word of God just sit on us. Which do you more look like? Which self takes prominence? Your old self or your new self? The father of lies or the father of heaven? Which do you look more like? Do you more show pagan-like love? Love that is conditional? Love that is short-lived? Love that has criterias and limits? Love that is based on commonality and similarities? Or do you have Christ-like love? Unconditional love? Unending love? Love that is indifferent to the number of offenses that you've received. Love like our Father. Can I be honest? My fear is that there are many quote-unquote Christians in the church who look more like the world than the one that they call Father who's in heaven. So this is central. How you love shows who you're a child of. And then he gives his final charge. And it's not an easy one. Verse 48. You, therefore, must be as close to perfect as you can. No. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> if it wasn't too much to give the commands that he had just given, if that didn't feel like too much, This certainly is too much. If it wasn't already like, okay, I'm at overload, I need to process verses 43 through 47. I'm at capacity, I can't take verse 48. This one literally is impossible. Be perfect? Like my father? How do we understand this? Well, first it means that we need to really work at looking like our Father. Like, really work at it. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says, Just as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what, what do we do with verse 48 that says you need to be perfect like your father who's perfect? It means that you really need to shoot for the stars, knowing you're never going to hit a star. We need to conform to the holiness of God. That's true in being honest, as he is perfectly honest. This is true with our sexual purity, as he is perfectly pure. Guys, this is true with forgiveness and with love. He is perfect in his love and indispensable with his forgiveness. This means that we really need to work to look like our Father, and yet, as we strive for this target of perfection, we can never forget 
that you're not going to reach total perfection until glory after death. We have to remember that our perfection right now is only found in Christ's death for us. Our being spotless before the Father who looks down on us is only by the spotless Lamb who shed His blood for us, who clothes us with His righteousness. Your perfection today is not based on your works. Your holy, perfect standing before God is not based on your efforts. It's based on His works, His accomplished effort on the cross, His death. So today we're going to conclude by celebrating the single greatest act of love ever shown to any enemy. The act which makes us perfect in God's sight today. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.